I'm curious, why is etiquette so important? So it's really for people who want to be able to feel comfortable in any environment. And that's what it's about. You want to be comfortable. It's not learning these rules to be an elitist or a snob. It has nothing to do with that. It's about being able to go into any and every setting and knowing that I know the basic rules and I'm going to be comfortable and I'm going to make people around me feel comfortable. Hi, I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer with the award-winning Curiosity.com. Today, we're going to explore the world of etiquette. Every week, we explore what we don't know because curiosity makes you smarter. This is the Curiosity Podcast. It turns out that proper etiquette is not just for snobs. Knowing what's cool and what's not cool in a social situation can make life a lot easier. And that's according to an etiquette expert who has been explaining this stuff for more than a decade. Even if you think you know all the rules, you might be curious to find out how exercising better etiquette can make the world a better place. I'm here with Jihan Marie Smith, the owner of Tea and Crumpets Chicago. And Jihan, you're an etiquette expert. I think it was really important what you said about understanding etiquette is about making us feel comfortable. Comfortable. In situations. Oh my gosh, we could just watch the news now and see why it's so important because the lack of etiquette and (laughs) civility that we see daily when we leave our homes. Well, you know, honestly... Our society has changed drastically. Um, Think about how busy our schedules are. I mean, you and I just getting together, we're like, oh my gosh, I'm getting married. I'm planning a wedding. I'm running around. I'm doing so many different things. And so when we think about how families are really not spending a great deal of time because Kelly has soccer practice, Brandon has baseball, and so families aren't sitting down at their dining room tables every day at the exact same time at 6 p.m. as I did, you know, and many of us did growing up. And those basic skills of being able to have a conversation, a decent conversation with a human being over a meal, uh, setting the table, all of those nice little things that generally our parents or grandparents would teach us, oftentimes I find that families are so busy and don't have those special moments to teach their children those skills that they end up not learning them. There's a more, I guess, economic implication to this too, right? Because you don't just work with families trying to communicate with themselves. No, exactly. Where else does this apply? You know what? Honestly, even though my main demographic would be children, I have worked with so many adult clients because they find themselves uncomfortable in situations that they are in because of their new role at work. Whether it's they need to do a little bit more public speaking because of their position, or they find themselves being invited to a lot of luncheons and dinners and they have no clue of which glass to use or which fork to use and feel embarrassed or maybe I shouldn't touch anything uh, while I'm here because I'm not sure of what to do. And so it's really for people who want to be able to feel comfortable in any setting. It's about knowing the foundation of what's expected of me entering into this new environment And I'm going to be comfortable and I'm going to make people around me feel comfortable. Because when you know the rules and someone else doesn't, it's not your place to make other people feel uncomfortable or bad for not knowing them. Yeah, we've talked on this podcast before about dating etiquette. Oh. And how there are, what are the rules? I know, the world is so different now. Does anybody even know? (laughs) Who invented all this etiquette stuff anyway? Oh, goodness. Of course, one name that I'm sure we will all know is Emily Post is kind of like that poster person for rules of etiquette, wrote books. I mean, I have all of her books uh, that my grandmother collected and clippings from different newspaper articles of etiquette questions from back in the 50s. Oh, I'm hosting a dinner party. You know, whose home should I seat near whom? You know, all of these little rules that people want to know. But honestly... I think it's been going on since man has been created. I mean, there are certain norms that each culture has, and it's, I guess, the elders, so to speak, responsibility to pass them on to the next generation. As far as modern table manners go, Western culture has the Renaissance to thank. As the Black Plague died out in the late 15th century, populations swelled, bringing with them a bigger middle class, but also violence and other bad behavior. Manners became popular as a way to reinforce social order and separate the upper classes from everyone else. 
Although today we tend to associate etiquette with women, the first generation of Miss Manners was entirely male. In the 1500s, for example, Dutch theologian Erasmus of Rotterdam warned against that timeless party foul known as double dipping, writing, quote, It is boorish to redip half-eaten bread into the soup. In 1558, the Italian poet Giovanni della Casa wrote that you should never comb your hair or wash your hands in front of guests unless you're sitting down to eat. Quote, For then it should be done in full sight of others, even if you do not need to wash them at all, for that whoever dips into the same bowl as you will be certain of your cleanliness. That's because people ate with their hands. Forks didn't come into vogue until the 17th century, thanks to Italian high society. Another piece of etiquette that's more modern than you'd think? Polite dinner conversation. Since unmarried women were rarely invited to dine with the men, male dinner guests of even the most distinguished classes felt free to discuss any subject they wanted, from dirty jokes to sexual conquests. In modern times, Emily Post is credited with simplifying what were often overly stuffy table manners. When she published her first book on etiquette in 1922, most books on the subject clung to that Renaissance-era assumption that manners were for the rich. But Post's advice was directed at ordinary people. Her basic rule of etiquette? Just as Jihan said, make the other person comfortable. And again, because of our society, especially here in America, fast-paced, we want everything to happen now, instantaneous. Now what are young people doing and adults? We're constantly texting. We're glued to our iPhones. We're glued to our laptops, uh, pads, MacBooks, whatever, some type of a device. And so those rules of etiquette are always slowly kind of being tossed out of the window because we're not creating spaces for us to really engage with one another. One could argue that let's say there's a family and the parents go out to dinner with their kids. Mm -hmm. They're on their phones. Their kids are on their phones. And the parents are fine with that. And the parents don't see a problem with that. Mm -hmm. But not every situation those parents or those kids are going to be in is going to be a situation where that's acceptable. Oh, absolutely. I mean, think about going to lunch with a couple of colleagues and the the goal of the lunch meeting is for them to get to know each other and to discuss or brainstorm ideas, for example. And if you pull out your cell phone, really that reads as the person that I'm talking to on my phone is more important than you and you're right in front of me. (laughs) <laughs> you I have know, felt that way. Because I have felt that way, you know, even with my own friends. There have been so many times we go out to dinner or lunch, hang out, and I look up and everyone's on their phone, whether they're posting pictures of what. I, and it's like, oh, my gosh, we're not talking to each other. We could have ordered, you know, takeout or, you know, had something delivered and just talk to each other on our cell phones and eating at home. So it's kind of removing the joy and the whole purpose of these moments of breaking bread at the table by distracting ourselves with these devices. You've been doing this for 15 years. Smartphones, maybe the last decade or so is when they really yes. became big. What were the big challenges before that? I would say people did not have the distractions of different technology things like cell phones. However, they may not have known what was considered proper table conversation. Okay, (laughs) so different topics to avoid. There, of course, now we're talking, so that's not the issue. People are having conversations, but okay, do I need to know if this is my first time meeting you, do I need to know your whole life story? Do I need to know that someone's ill? Do I need to know that you just had a huge falling out with your boyfriend or girlfriend? So, I mean appropriate table conversation. (laughs) Or I know you all talked about dating recently. You know, there are all these little rules. Who pays? You know, who does pay? Oh, gosh, whoever asks the person out. (laughs) Is that is that the current accepted? Even when it's something platonic, you know, if you're going out with friends, if I invite you to lunch, Cody, I'm supposed to pay because I've asked you. Got it. Now, I mean, that's like a general rule of thumb. However, depending on the place that I might choose, what if it's some super expensive place and we both are excited about trying it, then we need to have the conversation in advance if I want us to go Dutch, meaning you pay for your food, I pay for mine. There's nothing wrong with that, but that needs to be said beforehand. How do you approach that conversation? Well, I think it could just be said very casually and matter-of-factly, just kind of like, so, uh, you want to go Dutch? I've been dying to try this place. Now, that may not really work on the dating front, but <laughs> but definitely with friends or colleagues, for sure. 
I'm just curious about this because that seems to be the etiquette that is the fastest moving into what's acceptable and not acceptable. When you mentioned what's okay to talk about and not talk about, I feel like since the 2016 election, everyone feels like they're politics yes. need to be made not only can be discussed but it's it's like a prerequisite like here's and friends where I stand. and family members are falling out having huge fights and <laughs> yeah. are talking to each other because of this you know a lot of people we like to think especially as adults that we're super mature and we can really calmly articulate our political views in a very you know intelligent uh, way without being emotional I'm sorry <laughs> We can't. I can't. You can't. You know, it's very difficult to speak about issues that hit us so personally without infusing some type of great emotion into them, where to the point where people are crying, arguing, yelling, you're wrong, I'm right, I can't believe you think this way. So really... Unless you're with a group of people over dinner or lunch or whatever who are extremely mature, they're like professors, look at things in a very general way, I would recommend that people try to avoid those conversations. So it's not that that etiquette has changed. It's just that more people are ignoring it. Yes, more people are ignoring. You know, for example, we both live in the Windy City, major city. Uh, There's so many different ways to get around our lovely city, like public transportation. So... Sometimes I might hop on a bus uh, to come downtown from my neighborhood. And it's interesting because we'll see all all walks of life, all ages ride the bus and ride the train. Right. And so think about it in the way I was raised. And it's also an etiquette, a rule of etiquette. If I were to see a senior gentleman Say this guy is in his 70s or 80s. And I'm sorry for you listeners who might be. That's not old. Of course it isn't. (laughs) But say if I see a gentleman in his 80s, I am not in my 80s, although I could be tired. Yes, I've worked a long day and all of that. But I feel that this gentleman should have a seat. And it's my job to say, sir, would you like to have a seat and offer my seat? But in today's world, oh, people do not care. I'm tired, too, you know, is the attitude. Wow. (laughs) Or, you know, you see a woman who's expecting. No, she does not have an illness or anything crazy like that. She's just carrying a little baby inside of her. But I might want to ask her if she wants to have a seat because she could be super exhausted because she's not just carrying herself she has another person with her for sure you know seriously folks give up your seat for pregnant women not only is pregnancy tiring and uncomfortable but there are scientific reasons why it's super dangerous to make a pregnant woman stand on a moving bus or train first off as her belly grows her center of gravity changes that makes it harder for her to balance on her own two feet also little known fact in preparation for giving birth a pregnant woman's joints get looser and more elastic Both of those things increase a pregnant woman's chance of falling when she's forced to stand on public transit. Give up your seat. It's it's just about being thoughtful. Etiquette is just going back to a place where we're thinking about other people's needs and not focusing on ourselves. And in our culture, we are selfish. We're constantly thinking about our own needs and desires. And to me, when I think of etiquette, it's not just about all of these rules that need to be followed. It's about caring for other people, making them feel comfortable. Sure. I want to talk in a second about a couple other kinds of etiquette that maybe don't at first glance fit into that category Uh as easily. Uh But first, I want to just mention the the pregnancy thing that you talked about. So let's say I'm on the bus. Pregnancy can also be a a, a touchy issue. Oh, don't don't ask. I mean, I'm not going to walk. Right. Exactly. (laughs) I'm never in my life going to walk up to anyone and say, oh, are you pregnant (gasps) or are you expecting? I mean, that's not okay. So... If I'm on the bus and someone enters the bus and I think they might be pregnant, do you just give them the benefit of the doubt? Sure. I would just you don't have to mention anything about a person's physical condition. You could just say, would you like to have a seat? They don't know if you're just being polite or if it's just because she's a woman and you're a man. I mean, the person doesn't have to know why you're offering the seat. They just might be thinking you're just super nice and kind that day. So, yeah, you never, ever want to assume anything like that. You want to kind of reserve, unless you're offering a compliment. Oh, I like your 
your hairstyle, your haircut is lovely, or that's a lovely scarf, a beautiful suit, I would avoid making comments on a person's appearance unless you're offering like a really general compliment about something that they're wearing or um, a fragrance. Oh, that's a lovely fragrance that you're wearing, that you have. So yeah, I would avoid comments on bellies and... (laughs) Well, all of that. The pregnancy thing is interesting to me because one of my really close friends actually just had a baby about a month ago, mm. and she would make some some Facebook posts occasionally about comments people were making to her, and even if the comment was positive, like she was waiting for the train one day and a guy walked by and said something like, God bless your baby, and, and she was like nine months pregnant, she mm-hmm. was clearly okay. showing, <laughs> this, this was, yeah, and she might have even been wearing some kind of maternity clothing that gave it away, but mm-hmm. he said something like that and walked by and, and she was bothered by that, and I was like, well, that's that's a positive sentiment though, but what she said was, if we were having a conversation and we were talking about something and, and he said something positive, that's one thing. But to kind of just walk by someone and make a comment, it's almost like a cat call really? to her. Now, I don't yeah. know if this is universal, but she just thought that it's not necessarily an appropriate comment on a, a, you know her status as a pregnant woman if there's really no context or no rapport. Oh, that's interesting. Well, you know what? It makes me think, and it's not... The exact same situation, but it makes me think of dog owners, and I'm a dog owner myself. When people don't even acknowledge me, they don't look at me, they don't speak, but then they look at my dog and go, oh, hi, puppy, you're so cute. Uh, Excuse me. I mean, and that's fine. You can make a comment about my cute dog. Sure. But I just find it weird that I'm a human being. You're a human being. Wouldn't it be nice to acknowledge the person standing right in front of you before you make a comment about their dog or their baby? Yeah. And so I've heard mothers. It's it's similar but different. I've heard mothers. I'm not a mom myself yet, but I've heard women say, oh, gosh, once you're a parent, it's so annoying because people don't even acknowledge you. They go, how's the baby? Or look at how cute the baby is. And that makes that person, that individual, feel badly. Like, I'm here. I exist. And so I would say, I see what your friend is saying. Absolutely. You know, she felt, okay, that was kind of odd. We didn't have a conversation. I know it's a natural, usually a natural emotion just to feel extreme excitement and joy for a person when they're expecting a baby. Because it is exciting. However, putting the mind frame of like a, an expectant mother, I would probably think, well, I'm right here too. Like yeah. You could have said at least hello, congratulations, then God bless your baby. Yeah. No, that makes sense. It's, again, <laughs> yes. it goes back to the... Acknowledge and, people, yeah, the people it, who are right in front of you. And it goes back to that fundamental that you talked about. Etiquette is about making other people feel comfortable. Yes. And if you just walk by and you say, you know, how's this or how's that? And it's not addressing or acknowledging that person as a human being, that's no good. Exactly. So now I want to get into some of the pieces of etiquette that may seem a little less obvious, such as table manners. Yes. So if you've got... <laughs> I, I will never forget the scene from the Titanic. Oh, yeah. oh, I have your way work your way out in absolutely. I literally that's how I have known where to start eating with forks yes. for my entire life. <laughs> that Titan, that uh, Titanic scene for sure. This, yes. Yes, and for the listener that doesn't know what we're talking about, Kate Winslet is with Leonardo DiCaprio. He's a lower class person and he yes. does he he is at a nice dinner table there's all these forks and pieces of silverware and he doesn't know where to start and mm-hmm. she leans over and says start on the outside work your way in yes in that particular case which fork i pick up first mm-hmm. isn't about making me comfortable about somebody else comfortable so what's the purpose of that kind of etiquette honestly some rules are really practical and so there's a a, a staff who has set this table up, there is going to be a process as to how the servers are going to serve the guests, the the way they go around the table. I mean, there's a system behind everything. And so forks, your fork will always be on the left because generally people, when they cut, will put their fork in their left hand and their knife in their right, even if they're right-handed. Now, they may switch to eat, But generally, when people cut their fish, their steak, their asparagus, even though you can eat asparagus with your finger, you can (laughs) 
you generally put the fork in your left hand. This is where American and European customs differ. In Europe, you put your fork in your left hand and your knife in your right, regardless of whether you're cutting food or eating it. In the U.S., you do what Emily Post called the zigzag. You put your fork in your left hand to cut your food, then you put your knife down and you put your fork in your right hand to eat. Europeans might turn up their nose at this now, but the zigzag actually originated in 18th century France. It's just that by the time it came over to America, Europeans had already moved on to the much more convenient no-switch style. America just never got the memo. Your glass, wine glass, water glass, coffee cup will always be on your right. And so when I teach kids this, I always have them hold up their hands and you can only make the letter B with your left hand and a D with your right. And so your bread plate will always be on the left. Your drink, every beverage that you'll have will be on the right. And again, you work your way out in because if you pick up someone else's utensil, which isn't a big deal, but it will throw everything off. And so that person will probably to the left or the right of you will need to ask the server for a fresh or a new fork or knife. So it just kind of throws everything off. So there is some practicality. <laughs> so it's, not, it's a practical thing. It's not about, oh, that's rude or, you know, it's nothing like that. It's literally about this is how the table is set. This is the flow of the table. If you pay attention to servers, like if you attend a banquet, like a formal luncheon, it's almost like a choreographed dance. You know, the way in which the servers, oh, they, they plate from one side and then they clear the table from another side. They pour water on this side. And so there's... A method to the madness. And then there are lots of different signals to servers. So, for example, if you'd like to excuse yourself to go to the men's room or to the ladies' room, you will place your napkin on your seat. That is a signal to the server that you're returning. However, if you place your napkin to the left of the plate, and of course, this is always just in a formal situation. They may not know this at Olive Garden. You know, <laughs> like this is when you're going to a nice fancy luncheon or or dinner. Um, if you place it to the left of your plate, that means, okay, I'm finished with my meal. And then they'll take your and plate. The, and they'll take your plate. And there's etiquette related to drinks, too, at a bar, right? If you leave a particular drink and maybe you put a coaster on it, that means you're coming back. But if you leave part of a drink at the bar, they'll probably take it? They'll take it away. Or depending on where you are, the coffee cup or teacup will be preset or already be on the table. But if you leave it flipped where the top of the cup is face down, like on the saucer, that means you don't want coffee. Right. And if you flip it back up, like you want to consume coffee, they'll know to pour coffee or tea for you. Wow. So this is really helpful for servers and for keeping yes. things efficient and all that. Exactly. So it is about thinking about other people. Yeah. Who knew? Absolutely. Oh, and then if ever you see forks or spoons above the plate at the top, that is for your dessert. Oh. So I know people go, what is all of this? Right. So generally, all of the silverware to the sides, you know, salad, fork, Entree, fork, soup, spoon, dinner knife. You might have something for seafood. I mean, there's a fork for everything. However, if you see any silverware at the top of the plate, that is for your dessert. And servers have their own etiquette they need to follow, too, probably to make their lives easier. Right? At a very nice restaurant, they're mm-hmm. supposed to ask the the female what she wants to order first. Oh, yes. If it's a couple, maybe. If it's a family, then it would be the mother first and then the father, mm-hmm. that kind of a thing. Exactly. And I always encourage, for those of you who are listening who are parents, to allow your children to order food for themselves. Because that is teaching them some very important skills. For one, they have their own voice. They're indep- they should be independent. And they're learning how to communicate nicely in a respectful manner to a person who is serving them. And that these people are not to be looked down upon. They're working. This is a job. Just like we all go to work every day, it's a job. It's a career for them. And these people are earning money to provide for themselves. And they're human beings, so they need to be spoken to as You know, as such, I cannot stand when I see adults speak down to servers. Give me this. Give me that barking orders. No, may I please have a lemonade? Thank you. You know, it's just it takes nothing to be polite. And so when children are out dining with us as adults, they're watching us and how we communicate with people who are helping us. 
driver, the Uber driver, the person who you may have a housekeeper, the way you communicate with that person, the person who is providing us with our food, whether it's at McDonald's or at a steakhouse, how are we communicating with them? And so when I'm with my little nieces and nephews or my godchildren, when we go out to lunch or to dinner, I say, okay, what would you like? Okay, tell them because you have your own voice. I'm not going to be there with you all the time. So you need to learn how to speak up for yourself and be polite while you're doing it. Yeah, I think a huge problem that I see all the time with all generations is just treating certain people like a function or like the help. Like even if you get to the checkout at the grocery store and you just don't make eye contact or say mm-hmm. anything to the cashier, like that's a cashier that that's a human being yes. that's scanning your items and then, you know, asking you how much you owe and things. And I have recently begun I'll whether I'm checking out whatever store it is, I'll mm-hmm. just say, How's your day going? Mm-hmm. And they always respond very positively. Yes. No cashier or checkout person anywhere at any fast food place or coffee shop or a grocery store has ever scoffed at that question exactly. or been unenthusiastic. And they usually go, thank you for asking. Yes, because a lot of times <laughs> people aren't. And the same with, you mentioned the rideshare apps like Uber and Lyft and mm-hmm. even taxis. When I get in, I make a point to say, hey, how's your day going? Just those little things. How are you doing? Eye contact. We are all glued. I was just telling a group of students earlier, we're all glued to our different devices to actually look someone in the eye and smile and say good morning. I mean, that will make someone's day. Jonathan Pritchard, a past guest of the Curiosity podcast and author of the book Think Like a Mind Reader, has a pretty cool approach for how to treat the cashiers and bus drivers you encounter every day. In video games, you've got the main characters, the ones you and other players control. And then you've got the pre-programmed characters that basically act as background decoration. Their entire existence generally consists of walking back and forth and saying the same line of dialogue over and over again. Those are called non-player characters, or NPCs for short. As Pritchard writes, quote, You're the hero of your own real-life adventure. Most of the people you meet are essentially NPCs to you. You share limited conversation. You stick to safe conversation topics like the weather. You treat them like NPCs. Very few people you meet will ever break through to the level of adventure buddy. The trick, then, is to remind yourself that they're not NPCs. They are experiencing an I just like you are. They're living their own adventure that's just as rich and meaningful as yours. End quote. You can hear more from Jonathan Pritchard on the Curiosity podcast episode entitled Communicate Like a Mind Reader. Hey, Cody, you know what else is a polite thing to do? Giving a compliment when somebody has a nice, well-designed room? Yes. And to help you do that, we have a special offer from our sponsor, Havenly, the best online interior design solution. That's right. You can visit havenly.com curiosity and enter the promo code curiosity for $50 off their full design package. Havenly makes interior design accessible to normal people like you and me. Right. Rather than spend hundreds or thousands of dollars for a room, Havenly's packages start at just $79. You get to select a designer that meets your style and then work with them online to create a beautiful room rendering. You can also work with Havenly to order any furniture you pick out and have it delivered right to your front door. And again, you get $50 off a full design package when you go to havenly.com curiosity and use the promo code curiosity. They also have a design quickie feature that allows anyone to chat with a designer for free to get advice on any design-related questions. Right. One more time, visit havenly.com slash curiosity, enter promo code curiosity, and boom, 50 bucks off the full design package. But you get the compliments for free. It's such an easy thing, such an easy fix to just be more aware of other people. How do you teach people how to do that? Because you work with a lot of different people, children, Mm -hmm. adults. What's the switch that you need to flip to get people to start really acknowledging others? Well, I try to put it into perspective to see how they would feel if they were being ignored. Because no one ever wants to feel left out. No one wants to feel like they're invisible. And so the way I teach a lot of my workshops is through um, we do a lot of role playing And so I'll have a few students to act like they're in a restaurant and one kid is the server. One person's the host at the host stand. A couple of people are the diners. And we do different scenarios. And when we step back, and especially the scenario when the person's being rude, they have to laugh and go, I can't believe people behave this way. Like, I cannot believe that people behave this way. Or I ask them, 
This week, I really want you to be observant. And when we get together next week, I want you to tell me every rude thing that you saw. And they have, of course, a million stories to share. Oh, my gosh, this person got on the bus and was so mean to the bus driver. Or, you know, I saw someone bark orders to the rideshare driver or the the table next to us we were my parents and I went to a restaurant and the table right next to us they were so rude to the server because they messed up the order and it wasn't even the server's fault the kitchen messed it up but they didn't care and so once they once you ask people to really reflect on their day and think about all of the interactions that they were in and interactions that they observed Everyone can spot out rude behavior. And then you ask them, how do you really think it made that person feel? These are people who are providing these services. Let's say you're going to another country. How do you, if you're traveling, maybe kind of research or understand where you're coming from? So my advice to my students who are traveling abroad, so or even if it's domestic, like down south, the culture there is so much different from up here, you know, in Chicago or other parts of the Midwest or North. For example, in the south, people generally offer so much hospitality and it's considered rude to not accept whatever's being offered to drink or to eat. That is like, what? Oh. You could just say, oh, I just had I just had lunch. No, ma'am. No, thank you. Okay, I'll make you a plate, (laughs) you know, because that's their way of showing love, welcoming you into their home, into their business by offering you something. Have you ever wondered why the American South is known for hospitality? That goes back to before the Civil War. In the 1800s, waves of immigration led to huge population booms in the North. That led to many different types of people swarming into urban areas where everyone kept to their own social groups. But the South was very different. At the start of the Civil War, the North had 10 million more residents than the South. Sparsely populated farm towns dotted the southern countryside, and living in the middle of nowhere meant that you had to keep close personal ties to survive. Close ties, which usually led to close living quarters, also meant that your reputation and honor were important in order to keep the peace. The need to keep an honorable reputation, combined with a rivalry with Northerners, who were considered cold and impersonal, led Southerners to feel duty-bound to show hospitality to anyone who appeared at their doorstep. So whenever you go to a new place, a new city, a new country, all you have to do, there's no excuse now because we all have access to the internet. And I just recommend that you just do a basic Google search of customs of China or the customs in Paris to know, okay, do they tip here? What is the standard tip? to pay, you know, the taxi driver, the hairstylist, where the services that you will need while you're there. Or ask the concierge there at the hotel if you're staying at a hotel or if you're staying with a family, because I know people do that. They stay with, I've done that. I've stayed with families that I didn't know in other countries. Yeah. And you ask them, what are the norms here? I even encourage that when you're right here in your very own city and you're going to a restaurant, I always encourage people to look the restaurant's website up, see if there's a dress code because in fact there are some restaurants who do not allow men in without jackets or they don't want men to wear hats women have to be in a certain attire so I always encourage people if you are looking to have a a different dining experience go for it that is so much fun Um, it's exciting but just be prepared you just always want to be prepared and you can look that up easily yeah, there's a, there's a lot of the uh, some more advanced stuff like when you order a bottle of wine in a nice restaurant mm-hmm. and then they pour a little bit and then they give it to one person. Yes. And you're supposed to sniff it and then take a little taste and then tell them it's acceptable. Exactly. They, so there's, yeah, there's a whole little ritual. Rituals. And I've had students, I will never forget this, Cody, this one young lady, she raised her hand and I can tell she was a bit embarrassed. But then she said, look, I'm going to ask because I don't know. Why is it that I hear people say words like rare or medium well, like what in the world does that mean? And I said, oh, wow, I never, it never crossed my mind to incorporate that into the training Yeah, as it relates to table etiquette, even if they're ordering a burger, you know, do you want it medium rare, rare, well done? And she said, what does that mean? And so, you know, it's these little things. And so I always tell students, first of all, 
whenever you go out to dinner and you want to try something new or to lunch or breakfast, always be adventurous when you aren't paying for it. <laughs> if you're the guest of someone, try something new. Don't always order the chicken tenders. And, and this is adults, too, because I know adults who order the same thing. I want steak and potatoes. Try something different. Uh, you know. But um, if you don't know something, never be afraid to ask. And if you feel like you might be a little embarrassed and don't want the people that you're with to know that you don't know something, again, look it up online. I'm always encouraging students to take a peek on, uh, at a website before they get there. But if you're ordering on somebody else's bill and you don't like it, then you don't finish it. That's rude, right? Well, here's the thing. Here's my opinion about that. Because I believe that whether it's you or your best friend or your mom who's paying for the dish, you should enjoy it. I would try a little. Now, I'm not saying do this every single time you go out. Oh, I don't like this. Can you please send this back? I would say usually it's been my experience in the rule that when you try something and you are just really not enjoying it, whether it's overcooked or just the flavor profile just doesn't work for your palate, I would say be honest and say, I'm so sorry, this is just not what I expected. May I please try something else? Generally, restaurants will work with you because they want you to have a positive dining experience. However, I would not make this a habit. Sure. After you've tried it once, take a couple of more bites because it might grow on you, I actually, which happens. In fact, I think the number is it takes you like 27 times or something ridiculous to actually introduce something new into your palate and to enjoy it. So your taste buds go, oh, this is actually nice. We've talked about the mere exposure effect on the podcast before when talking about music, but it applies to food too. It describes the way that you find more familiar things to be more pleasant Studies have shown that if people listen to the same unfamiliar song over and over, they report liking it more every time, for instance. As far as flavor goes, researchers on a study from way back in 1982 gave people tropical fruit juices they had never tasted before. Some people tasted them five times, some 10, and some 20. Then they rated how much they liked the flavor. Across the board, the more times someone tasted the juice, the better they liked it. So if you're not sure about an unfamiliar flavor, try it again. And again, and again, at some point, you'll probably come around. But of course, when you try something for the first time, it's like, okay, wait, do I like this? Do I like the texture? Do I like the way this tastes? But I would avoid, I would avoid saying this, using language like this is nasty. Mm -hmm. I can't stand, I hate this. (laughs) (laughs) I would say, you know, not really my cup of tea or... I really don't care for this. May I try something else is a better way of communicating it. Again, you know, life is not about us walking around being perfect and pretending like everything is going well. No, it's just the way you say it. It's how you say it. It's a good guideline. And you mentioned when people are being rude, we can always come up with a zillion examples of people being rude Mm -hmm. or or unthoughtful. I used to work at a coffee shop and sometimes I would have an awful day and I just got on on the wrong side of the bed, Mm -hmm. didn't get enough sleep, whatever, bad mood. And I, I still tried to treat customers very courteously and be respectful and things like that. There are many others who are not able to maintain that on a daily basis. Someone, maybe your server, maybe your coffee shop barista, whoever it is, maybe they are just going through a breakup, Mm -hmm. somebody is in the hospital, they're just having the worst time, and they start to kind of take it out on you. What's a good way to respond when you're on the receiving end of Mm -hmm. somebody being rude? I hope your day gets better. (laughs) It's very nice. I hope your day ends up a little bit better, or tomorrow will be a new day. Yeah. Tomorrow will be a brand new day. That's very positive. So you really you have, have to be... to be positive because exactly what you just said, we're all going through different things. Now, I'm not saying that's a pass for people to be rude at all because we're all going through different things. We could all have um, an excuse or a reason to be kind of rude to folks. Like, well, you know, well, I had a disagreement with my husband before I got here because I'm thinking, what does that have to do with me? Mm-hmm. I just want some coffee and a smile. Like, <laughs> <laughs> your issue has nothing to do with me. However... 
being thoughtful and considerate is understanding that we all are human beings and we all are going through things at home and we have different situations. Extending some compassion for one another is very important. So if someone is being a little rude or snippy with you, meaning a person who's providing a service for you and you're being positive, maybe you speak good morning and they're just like, you know, hi, or they don't speak at all. I would not take that as an opportunity to say something rude or mean to kind of wake them up into realizing that you were trying to be polite. I would smile and say, you just I hope you have a good day. Wow. You know, you someone has to be the bigger person, you know, and and if it's to the point where they're being extremely rude, well, then we need to maybe ask for a manager and some consequences need to take place. But I'm not saying you ever need to engage in a, an argument, a big falling out with a person because of their behavior. Sure. But there are little things that you could do, like I said, maybe saying, I hope you have a better day. Or you can say, you know, what's the expression about how smiles are contagious, mm-hmm. you know? And I'll go, where's your smile? I'm so silly. But of course, <laughs> everyone doesn't have a personality like mine. I'm a little silly. But um, just letting them know the day will get better. Yeah. Or I don't know if you remember the scene from what movie is that? Oh, gosh. I think it's Monster in Law with Jennifer Lopez and Jane Fonda. I haven't seen it. Where this guy is like, they're at a coffee shop and this guy is super rude. Like, I asked for non-fat. I can taste the fat is exactly what he says. I can taste the fat. And he's like rude. She said, well, I'm so sorry. I can make it over. Forget it. You've already ruined my day. And he storms off. But then he drops a 20 and Jennifer Lopez's character sees the encounter she picks up the 20 and gives it to the young lady yeah she says karma you know yeah and so it's like if you're witnessing someone being treated badly maybe you can do something to kind of wipe out that that negative exchange by smiling and saying you're doing a really good job yeah you're doing a great job and people can be more proactive in general i went to a coffee shop one time and the this woman went back to the counter and said excuse me is this with almond milk or soy milk or whatever, and I think the barista kind of wasn't sure, and she said, I specifically asked for this kind of milk. I can't have any lactose for blah, blah, blah. And, okay, great. So the barista (laughs) messed up the order, and no, it's not healthy for her. But you have to take some personal responsibility. If it's that big of a deal Mm -hmm. and you can't touch any dairy, you need to be very explicit and say, hey, look, when you order it, I'm getting this. I need soy milk or almond milk or whatever, and I need it for a medical reason, so mm-hmm. please make sure. And then when you get the coffee, you say, hey, and you made this with whatever, right? And then that's all you got to do. Exactly. And if the barista messed it up, then at that point they say, oh, my gosh, I messed People up. People make mistakes. I've made 50,000 lattes today. <laughs> I, and I've been there. Like, you make so many, you start to kind of space out here right. and there. It's yes. just going to happen. It does. And uh, so, yeah, some taking a little bit of ownership. And <laughs> I know we've been talking for a long time. We didn't even get into things like visiting friends, parents for the first time. Oh, my gosh. Gifts, if you don't like a gift and returning that. I mean, we could talk all day about this stuff. But just to touch on it. Of course. You mentioned mentioned shopping for a gift for your friend. What do you do if you receive a gift you just really don't like? I always say thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I always write a thank you card Mm -hmm. um, for sure because – you know what? That person didn't have to give me anything. I know it sounds cliche and she's like, oh, it's a thought that counts. But it really does. Like in today's economy, people, a lot of people don't have that just extra money to just spend frivolously. And so if someone took the time to select that hideous sweater for you for Christmas, you give them a hug and say thank you and wear the sweater at home or maybe only wear it when you see them. <laughs> or you don't wear it at all. Yeah, in this day and age, you can always... Just I mean, say thank you. You know, I just cannot stand ungrateful people. You just <laughs> Because you do not... Ha- that person did not have to think of you. You know, they yeah. did not have to think of you. Now, when it comes down to purchasing gift, being the gifter, the person who's buying the gift, I really, unless I don't know that person well, I'm really not a fan of gift cards unless, for example, I have friends who are just obsessed with certain beverage shops. You know, so if I give them a $25 gift card to that shop, they're going to be super pumped. But other than that, I try to avoid gift cards and really try to think about what 
is this person really into? What do they enjoy? Do they enjoy reading? Do they enjoy perfume? Do they enjoy music, movies? Do they enjoy tours? I don't know. I just have to think about who that person is as an individual and not just picking up a ton of gift cards to say, okay, I got everyone a Christmas gift or, a, you know, Kwanzaa or whatever, the, or a birthday gift, right. you know, off the checklist. No, let me actually put some thought into it. Also, you know, we go to different people's homes during that. There are lots of parties, just holiday parties in general because of the season. And so... I think sometimes people forget this, and especially up here, it's not so big. Like I said, the South, it's all about hospitality, and they're really big on rules of etiquette and making people feel comfortable and loved and appreciated. The general rule is never show up to someone's home empty-handed. Never. Never. Even when my friends say, oh, don't bring anything, just bring yourself. I go, okay, yeah, right. And I show up. I don't care if it's flowers for the host to show, say thank you for you know, hosting us. If I know that my friend enjoys wine, I'll pick up a couple of bottles. If I know that they're going to have guests there who don't drink, I might get a couple of bottles of sparkling juice or cider because that's always nice because there's always that one person who may not really like wine or any other alcoholic beverage. Um, So just bringing something, a box of chocolates, a candle, something for the host to enjoy. Those are great ideas. Yes. The only one I can think of is wine. And you're here with (laughs) candles and ciders and chocolates. Yes. Letting them know that, thank you, I really appreciate this. Now, if it's a, say it's a potluck Thanksgiving, or maybe they say, you know what, we have everything. Always ask, okay, you're hosting Thanksgiving. May I bring a side dish? May I bring a dessert? Dessert, I think, is always a nice touch uh, because if you're, if I'm hosting Thanksgiving, which I do, I don't expect for someone to bring a side of macaroni and cheese or a side of mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes like, yeah. if I'm hosting, I'm going to host and I'll have the entire meal ready. But dessert is always nice because I'm not a baker. But again, it's based on the person. You know this person as an individual. Like, I have an aunt. She loves to bake. I wouldn't bring dessert. I wouldn't buy a pie or a cake to take to her house because I'm sure she'll have 10 pies and four cakes. So think about who this person is. If you're the host, think about the people that you've invited. See if they have any, in today's world, any dietary restrictions because you want all of your guests to be comfortable. And if you have overnight guests, say your in-laws are coming, little things, making sure that you have clean linen, You know, make sure the room that they're staying in is spotless, really nice and clean, fresh towels, show them around because you might have weird things about your bathroom. Like in my parents' home, the light switch is outside of the the bathroom. So Yeah. yeah, just showing your guests, making sure there's water on the nightstand. If you're staying at someone's home, offer to pay for a meal, take them out or offer gas money. You know, these little, little things that show... I appreciate you. I appreciate you. That's all your that's all that's the whole point of all of it. It's the I whole appreciate thesis you. of this entire conversation. <laughs> I appreciate you. Well, thank you so much for <laughs> all your expertise. At this point, I, I we mentioned time is so valuable and yes. I, you just lent me so much of your time which I do very much appreciate. I do want to wrap up with a final segment we do called the curiosity challenge. Oh. And I want to hopefully teach you something that Please. you might not have known before. This is Along the lines of etiquette, okay. but it's a little sciencey. Uh oh, gosh. That's okay. <laughs> this is something I learned on curiosity.com. Science actually will agree with something I'm sure you already know that double dipping is a party foul. Oh my gosh, huge. <laughs> Almost to the point where I don't even eat chips and dip when I'm out. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, in 2016, a group of Clemson University researchers decided to see just how gross your friend's <gasps> double dipping habit really oh is. Oh, my gosh, no. Now, salsa, cheese dip, and chocolate syrup all contained more bacteria after being double dipped. But the salsa got hit with the worst amount of additional bacteria. Can you tell me roughly how much more bacteria the double dipped salsa had than your average salsa? Oh my gosh, I don't even. Oh, that sounds horrible. Um, you're not. Oh, I'm never going to eat chips and salsa. Okay, what I'm thinking maybe sixty percent has sixty percent more bacteria than the 
salsa that hasn't been double dipped. <laughs> good, good guess. The double dipped salsa actually contains more than five times more <gasps> bacteria <gasps> than when compared to the other sauces. Now, it's it's oh worth gosh. noting that the salsa's high acidity brings the bacteria count down mm-hmm. to meet the other mm-hmm. dips levels after a couple of hours, and we all have bacteria anyway. That risk puts you at about the same amount as sharing a can of Coke or something with a friend. Oh my gosh. So, but it is worth noting that there's just, there's a scientific reason in addition to the etiquette of. Do not double dip people. (laughs) Oh, it drives me nuts. (laughs) And I saw you pull out your phone. I believe you have a question for me. Yes. I love music. When guests come, I'm always like blasting fun holiday songs. So tell me. I don't know if you are a 90s music fan. Mariah Carey and this group teamed up on a top 100 song in 1995. It is a song that spent a record 16 weeks at the top hot 100. Who was the group that Mariah Carey partnered with and what was the name of the song? My head jumps to All I Want for Christmas is You, but I don't even know if that was Mariah Carey. Um, Well, that is Mariah. That is? Okay, Mm -hmm. yeah. But this is not the song. She partnered with a group, a fabulous group from the 90s. And they're still around. Oh, man. I have no idea. Boys to Men. Boys to Men. Oh, that's right. What was the song? One Sweet Day. One Sweet Day. Sorry, I never told you. (laughs) Do you have a side career in music? Because that was beautiful. That was really oh, nice. Oh gosh! But no, I love. I can see the music video. Oh gosh, what are those? But I can see the music video in my mind of Mariah singing that beautiful song. Sixteen weeks at the top of the Billboard. Sixteen weeks. Yes. Wow. <laughs> that was a great piece of trivia. Yay! Very good piece of trivia. <laughs> Thanks again for being Thank here. Thank you. I've got another dose of knowledge for you with today's extra credit question. Ready? There's a conversation technique commonly used by salespeople who want to quickly build relationships with new clients. It's called the Ford Method, that's F-O-R-D, and each letter in the name stands for a good topic to use as a conversation starter. Can you name them? I'll give you a head start. The first one is family. Stay tuned for the answer. Do you like surveys? Well, I've got some really good news for you if you do. We want to hear your thoughts on the Curiosity Podcast, so we created a super quick and easy survey. Please visit curiosity.com slash survey and answer a few questions so we can make our podcast better. Again, that's curiosity.com slash survey. It's quick and easy and will really help us bring you better content every week. There's a link in the show notes too, but one more time, that URL is curiosity.com slash survey. We really appreciate the help. Explore history's surprising connections with a new podcast, The Thread with Ozzy. It's like a cross between revisionist history and six degrees of separation. You'll discover how various historical strands are woven together to create a historic figure, a big idea, or an unthinkable tragedy. Like how John Lennon's murder was actually 63 years in the making. Witness how their stories hinge on the past and influence the future. The show is already a chart topper. Get The Thread with Ozzy, that's O-Z-Y, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Ready for your extra credit answer? These are the conversation starters named in the Ford method. F is for family. O is for occupation. R is for recreation. And D is for dreams. Next time you meet someone new, skip the small talk about the weather and try asking about one of those instead. Chances are you'll get to know them a lot better. Thank you for listening to the Curiosity Podcast. I'd write a thank you card, but I probably don't have your mailing address. If you'd like to take your own etiquette to the next level, then please leave us a review on iTunes or email us at podcast at curiosity.com. We're always taking suggestions on future guests, by the way, or questions you have for us about past shows. For the Curiosity Podcast, I'm Ashley Hamer. And I'm Cody Goff. And hey, next time you come in here to record, could you bring a scented candle? Maybe just take out the trash. <laughs>